0: All right, I've been waiting for three weeks to be able to give this message. So, oh, and before I start, though, please pray for Pastor John. Um, He's not feeling well again, so we want to make sure that uh, he gets to feeling much better. If you'll turn with me to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter thirteen. John chapter 13, I'm going somewhere else first, but 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Now, I don't want to shock you, but We have to live in reality. I have a love-hate relationship with John, the writer. And we're going to work through that. There we go. I love how beautiful John paints the picture of love. I mean, it's an awesome picture. It's, it's incredible. It's out of this world. It's breathtaking when you think of how God loves us and what He's done for us to demonstrate His love for us. I mean, it's just incredible. You think of what He's gone through, what Jesus went through to be able to demonstrate that love. And, you know, so John does an incredible job of painting this picture, but he's also the disciple that Jesus loved the most, according to him. <laughs> so, um, and, and the Gospel of John is all about the love that God has for us. And, and then John continues this theme as he writes his three letters. And when you think about him being... Uh, secluded on an island and all the torture that he went through and to think of all the things that he could have spoken to us about he echoes the truth about the way Jesus is and the love that God has for us and John begins to make a transition that it's not just he's not just describing God's love for us but He takes it a step further and He begins to uh, encourage us in that same direction that we need to love in the same manner that Jesus loved us. And that's a hard thing. In John chapter 13, verse 34, it says this, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now this is Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give you that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus started this and you see John working on this same thing because back in verse um, 7, he talks about that we have fellowship with one another, that we love one another. And, and so it's important that we understand this. And, and Jesus is saying that this is the mark that we belong to Him. Not that we love God, but that we love one another. You see, that's totally different. I always thought of it as, okay, I need to love God. But that's not what Jesus said. Let's just make sure. A new commandment I give you That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. By this. And so nowhere in there does he tell us by this love God. By this he's he's referring to loving one another. And he says by this that's how you're going to be marked as belonging to me. Not that you say that you love God because everybody can say that. But he said the real proof that you belong to me is that you have love for one another. Whew. That means that we have to get out of our comfort zone and we have to be determined or out of our comfort zone we have determined what it looks like to belong to God. You know, we, we've always thought, well, I'll just love God and that's it. He'll know. No. He won't know and the world won't know until we have love for one another. And so God has raised the standard for us that we have love for one another. And so it's all about love, love, love. How sweet that is. And that's the love part. Remember I have a love-hate relationship with John? There's some of his writings that I would like to cross out in my Bible. Because I realize, and here's the hate part, that John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes all this stuff about love, and then he expects me and you to do it. He expects us to put it into practice. He expects us to love people like God Has loved us through Jesus Christ. He expects me and you to love one another and to look for the best in every person and not to be ashamed to be around them. He expects me and you to actually enjoy being with other people that He has created in His likeness and image. How dare He! Because some of these people that are created in the likeness and image of God, you probably don't want to hang around. But He tells us that we need to. Here's the, hey, I'm realizing that if I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit inspired John to write and is in God's Word, if I'm going to fulfill what God has called me to, then there's a whole lot of dying of myself, of my ways and my preferences that has to go on. It reveals there's a whole lot of Richard left, and that's hard. John's writings force us to get get way out of our comfort zone and to get into where it can be messy and love people like God has loved us. I don't know if you're like me, but I have concluded that for Richard, it is much easier to love people from a distance than it is to get into the stall and get dirty with them. (laughs) And so, even though Richard doesn't want to get in the stall and get dirty, God says, get in the stall. You see, we have this grand picture of, oh, we're just going to love everybody until you find out you got to get in the stall to love them. Sometimes you have to get in the pit because that's where they are. And if you're going to love them, you have to get in there. And just as was mentioned in worship, the need for love is so necessary in this world because we've lost love for one another we've lost the ability to have fellowship with one another. As soon as we disagree with somebody, we write them off and we go our own separate ways. And so it's imperative that the world sees true love. And if we don't have a foundation of love to stand on, then we just become delusioned and bitter in this life. And love is the bridge for the gap of all of our failures. And trust me, we're all going to fail each other sooner or later, aren't we? And so we have this notion that John tells us that we're to show that we love God by loving one another. And then we have to deal with sin in our lives. You know, you put the... Sin in the equation, it makes it a lot harder. And we'll look here in just a minute, but sin separates and it divides. And yet love gathers and it brings together. Love restores and binds and heals. But sin first separates us from God, but then it works its way out and it separates us from the fellowship with one another. We've looked at James chapter 1 and and we'll look there one more time. James chapter 1 verse 13. James 1 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and when and sin when it is fully grown gives brings forth death so if we're walking in sin we realize that the result of sin is going to be death well when you go from sin to death you go a lot of separation a lot of dividing that is occurring and so we have to be on our guard at all times so that we don't sin, that we don't enter into that. We see this process that James talks about in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. And I, let me just read this. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is verse 4, Genesis 3, 4. Verse 5 says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, so this is her perception. And this is the way sin works. This is what James says. You're lured and enticed away. Okay? So this is what she does. She sees that the tree was good for food. That it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Now that's totally contrary to what God had said about it. But the enemy comes in and he just slowly but surely lures us away. He entices us. And it says that she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so when we believe the lies that no one will ever know. And that's how he starts off. No one will ever know. Or it won't hurt you or it won't hurt anyone. When we start believing that, that's how he begins to entice us away and to lure us away. And then he throws on to the fact that you can handle this. You've got this. You're strong enough. You can handle this. then when we do that, we should know that our natural relationships are in trouble if we give in to those lies. Because sooner or later, it's going to separate. It's going to divide. And when He's enticing us, what He's doing is giving us justification for this sin that we're about ready to enter into. And that's what He does with us. Now, if you read chapter 3 and you see this is the fall, do you know what happens at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4? We run into the result of sin and its separation, its dividing. And their children, Cain, kills his brother, Abel. So it doesn't take long for sin to work its way out. And we wonder why this world is in the condition that it's in. And we wonder where all our hurt and pain comes from. It's because sin separates. It separates us from God first and then in our natural relationships. And again, it was mentioned during worship and and we need to make sure that we're... paying. The world needs us to gap the separation and the division of sin that is going on. We are the light of the world. That's our responsibility to bring restoration, to bring healing. If we don't do it, there's no hope for the world. They have no place else to turn. And so for us, our first turn needs to be towards God. And, and in us being born again, our salvation experience And here's the problem. The world thinks that when you're born again that you're going to be perfect the rest of your life. (laughs) We're not. It's just the beginning of a process for the rest of your life of you asking for forgiveness. You know, we think this born again experience is so awesome because we get to go to heaven when we die. And it is. That is awesome. And I'm not trying to minimize it. But when you accept Jesus Christ, then you have entered into a new relationship with confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Isn't that awesome? You get to confess. You get to repent. You get to ask for forgiveness. It's a lifelong journey. It's continual. You will do that until the day you die. Or you should. You may not, but you should. (laughs) And I believe that that's what John is trying to get us to see. That no matter what we are called to in this life, we are called to love. And love involves forgiving others. It seems to me when you read John's letters that he's more concerned about our everyday natural relationships maybe even more than he is with our relationship with God. Because he's always talking about our fellowship with one another. And by the way, he's talking about believers first. He's talking about our relationship with each other in the house of God first. And then he talks later about what that looks like to the rest of the world. And so he's concerned about our relationship with one another as much as he is with our relationship with God. Now, he's not. I'm, and I don't want you to think that I'm saying he's putting our relationships above God, but it's as important. Jesus said that we're to love one another as he has loved us. You know, we have this notion that salvation and forgiveness is a one and done situation. It's like, you know, and hope, I, I know no man has done this in here. No husband has done this in here. You know, tell your wife, well, I told you I love you on the day that i married. You, and if I change my mind, I'll tell you. That's not what a lifelong journey of confession and repentance and forgiveness is. It's a daily thing. It's as often as you need to think. And I don't think that we fully grasp down here in our lives how much God loves us. Think about this for a moment. I'm going to give you a Selah moment here. God loves us so much that He will not stop us from sinning if we want to. He will not stop us from doing what is wrong because He loves us that much. Think about that one. He will let you do whatever you want to do, saved or unsaved, born again, not born again, filled with the Spirit, not filled with the Spirit. He doesn't care. He'll let you decide what you are willing to do, what you want to do. He loves us that much that he will allow us to walk our own way. He will allow us to do our own thing. He will allow us to walk according to our own understanding. He will allow us to sin. He doesn't stop us. That's how much he loves us. but I want to challenge you that this truth does not give us a license to sin. I'm not saying that in in the least and we're going to get to you can turn to Romans chapter 6 if you will please it's not a license to sin it's not a license to do sinful acts we don't want to take advantage of God's love and his grace and his goodness and his kindness and mercies and all of that we don't want to take advantage of it Well, we have to understand that God loves us that much that he's he will allow us to do the wrong thing. He will allow us to sin. Because he loves us that much. In Genesis three, six again, let me just read a portion of this again, because we're always trying to justify our actions. But sin is sin in Genesis three, six. So when the woman saw. With her natural eyes that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She had her own set of justification to be able to do what she was getting ready to do. We as this church are the light of the world. The church as a whole is the light of the world. There has to be a switch over from our old way of living in sin to God's new way of living according to His Word, according to His principles, according to His ways, according to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to Romans chapter 6. Because there's got to be something in us that once we get saved, we have to cross over, we have to make a change to where our life that we're living is different from the time that Jesus found us. And I'm not certain that we're making that transition anymore. I'm not certain that we're willing to go the distance to be able to become all that God has for us. We're more concerned about our feelings and about how people perceive us and everything else rather than what does God think about your life? What does God think about the way that you're living? Because we entertain sin way too much in our lives anymore. We're willing to compromise way too much in our lives anymore. In Romans chapter 6, Paul had to confront this as well. And he says in verse 1, Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into His death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what God wants for us. And if we're going to be the light of the world, we have to make that transition we're walking in the newness that God has for us. That we're not still wrestling with sin in our lives. We're willing to conquer it by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And then jump down to verse 15. Romans 6.15 Paul makes some more things and I think it's in verse 12 he talks about sin shall not have dominion over you. But then in verse 15 he says this what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace and again the answer is by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to god that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So Paul's recognizing that there's a shift that is taking place and there's a new standard in their lives and that standard is the word of God for us and we need to make that transition. We need to make that shift as well. We need to be a people who are not wrestling with sin all the time. We have to come to the place of maturity. And, and we get over it. And we get on with the things that God has for us. Let me read verse 17 again. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And, verse 18, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. That's the transition that we need to make that God desires for us to make, that we become slaves of righteousness just as much as we were slaves to sin, which, listen to me, when you were a slave to sin, you didn't even have to think about sinning, it was just natural. And so when we become slaves of righteousness, we have walked with God so much, we have continued on the path with God so much that it's not even hard for us to think about what does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? It's just automatic in our life. And yet, we have to understand that in this new life, when we fail, and we will fail, then we need to be quick to confess, quick to repent, and quick to ask for forgiveness and turn back to God and continue to grow with Him. Make it right in the relationships that aren't right in the natural. We've got to be a people who do that. But I hear this from people in the church today. It's just too hard to be like Christ in this world anymore. So let me invite you to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. It's funny how we think it's so hard. <laughs> and yet Paul's dealing with the same thing. We know that it's possible because of the writings that he's given us or in, in the whole Bible, not just Paul. And so it lets us know that there's a way for us to live righteously in this world. Titus chapter 2. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I had to memorize it when we were down at Christ for the Nation's. And again, this was in our prayer class that we had that semester, and this is the scripture that he drilled us on. I mean we had to memorize this. And I've memorized it in NIV, so I'm still working on the ESV. But I thought, this is amazing. prayer, and this is what he wants us to focus on. Here it is, Titus 2:11. "For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, so that's sinfully, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Isn't that awesome? So the grace of God teaches us to be able to say no to one thing and yes to another, But then he qualifies it in this. In the very last, he says, in the present age. (laughs) What age is the present age? This present age. The age you're living in. The grace of God has appeared to all of us. And it's teaching us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then he goes on, verse 13 waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. I say this because We can't be content with just being born again and then choosing to live our own life, our own way down here and not being able to follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the truth and the principles found in God's Word. It didn't work for Adam and Eve and it won't work for us either. And so we're called to love one another. We have to wrestle with sin. We have to wrestle with all of that while we're trying to love one another. I wish we didn't have sin to contend with in loving one another, but we do. And so I want to close with two sets of Scriptures that I think will help us and it helps us see the mind of God concerning our love for one another. The first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. Starts in verse 7. 1 Peter four, seven. He said, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, if you want your prayers answered, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Verse 8. Above all. Everybody say above all. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Sounds like he's been hanging around James. Keep loving one another earnestly. Since. Love covers a multitude of sins. You see. In our relationships with one another. God is concerned about them as well. And we can't say that we love God. And yet not have fellowship and relationship. In the natural with others especially the household of God. 1 John chapter 4 verse 19. 1 John 4:19 We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen Cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God. Whoever loves God must also. This is a command. It's not an option. Must also love his brother. If you'll stand with me, please. You see, in our relationships with one another, because we are human, because we have this treasure in jars of clay, we are going to fail one another. There's no doubt about that. But even in the midst of us failing one another, even in the midst of us sinning and causing hurt and pain to one another, God is concerned about our relationships with one another. And He wants our relationships to be whole again, to be restored. And this morning we're seeing that the way to do that is to make sure that we engage in loving one another as He has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day and the love that You have for us. And Lord, we thank you for giving us the freedom to choose. But in giving us the freedom to choose, there's a lot of heartache and pain that has come through. But we know that your love is greater than that. And Father, I pray that for us in particular, that you would work it within us, that we understand that if we say that we love you, then the evidence of that is the fact that we love one another. And so, Father, I pray that you would put it within us that we do what is necessary to love one another as you have loved us. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. Great assignment. Go love one another.